This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Wednesday, June 2nd. We're going to talk about a lot of things today. We're going to talk about how the Rays have won 16 of their last 18 games. We're going to try to figure out what's wrong with Juan Soto. We're going to dig into the first place Cubs and their fascinating rotation. And we're going to try to figure out what life would be like if the season ended this weekend, because we are about almost to the 60 game point of the season. But first, we're going to talk about something important for today. Today is June 2nd. As I said, today is the first ever Lou Gehrig Day across Major League Baseball. It's celebrated on June 2nd because the first game started of his consecutive game streak was on June 2nd, 1925. He also passed away on June 2nd, 1941. So starting this year from every year for June 2nd will be Lou Gehrig Day. Every team will wear special patches that will read for ALS. There's a special charitable auction at auctions.mlb.com to benefit the ALS research at Mass General Hospital. And you can donate directly at mlb.com slash for ALS. And there's many different kinds of groups out there that are working on this. I think one of the most prominent is Project Main Street from our friend John Shambi, who's now a member of the Cubs broadcast team. He's been, I think, out front on this for a number of years now. And, you know, Matt, I think this is this day being celebrated is something that advocates have been pushing for uh, for many years. And I can already just see even just like on social media this morning before any of the games have started, I've, I've heard more about the topic than I think I have in a long time. And that's a good thing. I mean, if we want to defeat this, uh, we need visibility and we need donations. And I'm hopeful that the, a day like today will help push all that forward. No question. Um, you know, the, the 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 initiatives across baseball, you know, there's a bunch of things happening in, in ballparks today. And as you said, the awareness is as high as it's ever been for ALS, which is just an awful, you know, debilitating, deadly disease that we, you know, we still don't have anything close to a cure for. And hopefully we can start working our, our way there. Lou Gehrig, its namesake. You know, for me, this has been sort of an educational time because I've, I've like read, been reading more about Lou Gehrig than I had since I was a kid. I had like a dog-eared like Lou Gehrig biography for kids that I read a lot as a kid. You know, when I was like seven years old, I probably read it like eight times, but I hadn't really thought that much about Lou Gehrig, you know, you know his his life, you know, since then. It was like, oh, I had the basics, like, you know, I'm good now. Um, but just reading about him recently and some of the coverage, you know, we did specifically on MB.com, I want to point to one story. That um, that Anthony Castrovitz did about Lou Gehrig's last season, and basically how it's believed in, in retrospect. Now we know that he played his last season with ALS, and no one knew it at the time. And it's crazy to see because, as the story um, you know details, like people were the, the press at the time was like accusing Gehrig of going soft. Mind you, he played in every game that season, <laughs> right? And. He still got MVP votes, um, and now you know we weren't using OPS plus at the time, but his OPS plus was 132. You know, 32 percent better than league average. It was just a big step down from where he had been in previous seasons. So it was like, oh, like 
you know, what's wrong with Lou Gehrig? Um, and he didn't hit for any power all year. And then he had like a surge late in the season. And there's sort of a belief in that, like, you know, you know, with, with, with early onset ALS, sometimes it kind of goes in waves and that maybe because of the warmer weather, he was able to sort of like recapture his power for one last month. Um, and then that was, you know, basically, basically it for him in his career. He played eight games in 1939 and that was it. Um, but it's a fascinating story and, um, it's been educational and rewarding and inspiring to read about Lou Gehrig and everyone is doing all these amazing, amazing things to find a cure for ALS. Yeah, as we said, if you're interested in participating, uh, there's a donation page at MLB.com slash the number four ALS, or you can also check out auctions.mlb.com. And as we tape this, no games have started yet today, and a couple of games have already been rained out. So today and tomorrow, um, you'll be seeing some in-stadium celebrations. Teams will be wearing patches. They'll have special speeches, uh, you know, in-stadium signage uh, and all that. And this is, uh, it's not a one-off thing. This will keep happening. And I think that's all for the best. So Let's uh, move on and get things started with our opener. And the Tampa Bay Rays are the best team in baseball. And I'm going to, before we get into any of this, take like a giant step back and strain my shoulder, patting myself on the back here, because I, there's a tweet from me. You can look it up from the winter. We probably talked about it at some point where I said, everybody's so mad at the Rays for trading Blake Snell and for, you know, neglecting to re-sign Charlie Morton, that you're kind of sleeping on the fact that the team is pretty good. They're the best team in baseball right now. They're up by two over the Red Sox in the East. They have the most wins in baseball. They were an even 500, 19 and 19 after losing to the Yankees on May 12th. Since then, they are 16 and two. They had an 11 game winning streak. Who trades their starting shortstop in the middle of an 11 game winning streak? I don't have a good way of looking that up, but they did. And I've find that deeply entertaining over the last three seasons this team has the second most wins in baseball only to the Dodgers and we can get into the stats and like what they're doing and what they're not doing yet but does this change the way we should approach this team like what I was trying to get to in that tweet it was like they traded Blake Snell you know with a couple years left on his contract while he was coming off that famous game six and it was just it's a terrible look like I'm not going to pretend otherwise you don't it's not great for a team to go to the World Series and then trade one of their best starters. Like, it's not great. But also, Blake Snell's been kind of terrible this year. (laughs) Like, he hasn't been any good. He's got a 5.55 ERA uh, for the Padres. He has completed six innings, and this is obviously relevant to the whole Blake Snell story, uh, once, and even that was against the road version of the Rockies, which sort of feels like it barely counts. Um, He's got the exact same strikeout rate he had over the last couple years, but his walk rate is the fourth highest in baseball. And, you know, we we have talked about this a couple times in that game. Like the, the problem wasn't pulling him then. It was bringing in Nick Anderson, which is a blatant mistake. But this is a guy who's been like when he's good, he's been good. And I think what happened was that Cy Young he won in 2018, not to take anything away from him for it. He on my hypothetical ballot that year, I had him fifth. You know, I didn't think he was the best pitcher or the second or third or fourth best pitcher that year. And since he got it, that's like a a huge boost to his perception. And he's had flashes since then. And I think the Rays were saying uh, this this game that we just yanked him out of and then blew, it makes him look great. (laughs) You know, and we're we're never going to do better than this right now. And while I think everybody's surprised he's got an ERA of 555, even if I don't like that business model, like I get it. And now they have the most wins in baseball. Like, again, this team always does this stuff and they keep winning. And I think we do a bad job. And I say we, maybe I'm just talking about like, you know, lefty baseball Twitter of like disassociating 
business decisions we don't like from teams that will win baseball games. You hit on the 2018 uh, Cy Young season. I think that's kind of the key point here is like they weren't trading 2018 um Cy Young winner Blake Snell, although I think for reasons because he looked in the postseason because of that, you know, like controversial final game, the perception was closer to that in that moment. And they and they pounced, you know, like, but even like if you look, so 2018, he had a 1.89 ERA, 2019, 4.29. Last year, 3.24, which is good, right? Oh, 3.24. But he threw 50 innings and made 11 starts. So he was averaging last year fewer than five innings per start, right? With, with, and you with say, by well, the way, just... a 435 FIP last year. So there, maybe the 324 is a little bit of a mirage. But even still, like if you, 324 ERA by starter is a lot less impressive when it's basically four innings per start, right? <laughs> right, right. You know, it's, 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 you know, you're not being, you're never being asked to turn over a lineup more than, more than twice. And now it's, it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg argument, right? Is it like, is it because, is he keeping his ERA down because he's not facing a lineup three times? Can he not go deeper in games because the Rays won't let him? And is that going to be a factor going to a new team who might be willing to let him pitch deeper into the game. It's hard to know because right now he's made 11 starts so far this season. He's only pitched 47 innings. So it's like innings per start is even lower when it was last year. Um, And it's hard to disassociate. Is it because, you know, he was never built up to pitch deep into games? Is it because his command has been poor this year? And if you look at his command this year, especially his fastball command, if you go to his his, his zone chart on baseballsavant.com, he's basically throwing his four-seamer over the heart of the plate, which, you know, is uh, not good. It's hard to know exactly what the reason is. I think he's better than he is now. But I also think at this point, when you look at his career, the 2018 season is the real outlier. I Yes, I would agree with that. His last outing, by the way, against Houston the other day, seven runs in three innings. And then of all people, Joe Musgrove came out and threw five scoreless innings to back him up. And when you look at, you know, when you look at the, the Rays, you'd like to have thought, well, I mean, they'll be good this year, but wouldn't they be better with Blake Snell, which is still true. I mean, let's not get too down on Blake Snell here. He's still a, he's still a good player, right? Uh, but Luis Patino, who was one of the guys that they traded, they, they got for him, has looked really good. You know, he's only 15 innings. He's only 21 years old. And I think most baseball people looked at that trade and said, well, I hate that the team that just went to the World Series is doing this. But if you just look at it in a vacuum, like that's a pretty good return, especially because the Padres also traded for you, Darvish, like what the day after or before. And everybody just crushed the Cubs because that looked like a total giveaway. But meanwhile, the Rays looked like they got a good package back. And when you look at the Rays this year, um, I should also note, by the way, do you know who just got named AL Pitcher of the Month? 75-year-old Rich Hill, <laughs> which is entertaining to me. Um, a, a, a fascinating Rich Hill aside um, that I noticed recently, and you know, this is some, uh, not to go too far off the rails, is he's actually throwing his four-seam fastball way more than he has the last few years. Like basically his last like five starts, he's not, you know, he's, he's sort of famously one of the first poster child of guys who basically was like, oh, my curveball is my best pitch. I'm just going to throw that the most. Um, and that's sort of how he turned his career around at like age 37. Um, in the month of May, when he was, you know, amazing, he was throwing his fastball more than 50% of the time for the first time in, in like years. Yeah, it's funny. If you're looking at lefties, they replaced Blake Snell with Rich Hill. And Rich Hill is throwing more innings and being better at it. But when you look at the Rays, it's interesting because they're not necessarily like great at any one thing except for defense. If you look at, at defense, uh, they are number one and outs above average by kind of a decent amount. But when you look at the rest of them, like the pitching, you know, the ERA is seventh best and the strikeout rate is eighth best. And 
hard hit allowance is 10th best and they actually don't get very many ground balls. Uh, excuse me. They don't allow very many walks. It's the third lowest. And they don't get very many ground balls. It's the 21st most unsurprisingly. They don't let their starters go deep. Even without Snell, they've got the third fewest starting pitcher batters faced. And one of the two teams who has less is the Mets who have played eight fewer games. And then when you look at the, the offense, like middle of the pack and barrels and hard hit, they actually have the second highest strikeout rate and the third most run score Remember, for batters, strikeouts and run score don't actually correlate very well. And when you look up and down like the roster of of who is kind of fueling this offense, some of it's not surprising. Like I think we all looked at Austin Meadows last year and said, well, he caught COVID, he strained his oblique. I am willing to just ignore that the entire season because it was such a wreck for him. It's gonna he'll be fine. It's gonna be it's gonna be fine. And he has been. He's been really good, right? 13 homers, a 158 OPS plus. Randy Orozarena has been not a superstar, but he's been like 20% above average. The one that stands out to me is, have you noticed what Joey Wendell is doing? <laughs> Joey Wendell, incredible. 293, 350 slugging 509. That's a 148 OPS plus with like pretty much elite defense at third base. A key, I guess I haven't looked at it that closely. Is he going to be the, maybe not the starting third baseman. Is he going to be an all-star third baseman for the American League this year? Maybe. That's not one I saw coming. Uh, Mike Zunino, you know, never makes contact but when he does he's got 12 home runs so that's pretty cool and then they traded away willie adamas and we never really talked about that deal in depth and i think people were shocked by it and i i kind of i liked it for both sides you know milwaukee like desperately needed a competent shortstop and i liked uh the pitchers that tampa bay got and i think i talked about jp fire eyes last week and if you look at adamas i always found him a little bit overrated and he had the most massive home road splits. It's like for him, the trop was anti-course field and he was pretty open about it. He's like, I can't see here. Uh, the lights suck. I can't, I can't see here. And it was true. Like every year he hit way worse there and they didn't call up Wander Franco who they yeah, probably yet. will. Yeah. But I'm saying they still have him in reserve. Right. Um, and I know people got upset about that and let's, you know, it's the rage. You always have to like kind of question what the, what their motives are for doing anything. But it's funny. They called up uh, Taylor Walls who is 24 years old and people are acting like because he's not Wander Franco, he's just like chopped liver. In AAA, he had a 468 on base with good defense. You know, like he is also a good player. And it's it's kind of funny just because like so many people wrote this team off and I don't I don't think they're going away. Like Glasnow looks like a Cy Young contender. You know, they still have endless amounts of pitching even though everybody's hurt. The Rays, I, I believe the Rays are here to stay. Are you Are you with me on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't. I expected them to be good again. Um, they've probably been a little better than I expected, but I'm not. I'm not shocked by this, as you kind of, you know, said. This is the, the Rays now have a pretty good track record of doing exactly this. So, um, you know, basically retooling on the fly around a, a certain core and like adding pieces and adding and subtracting as they go and fitting in players who who match like the roster they want to build and the team they, they the team they want to play. I'll also add an aside, as you mentioned, Wander Franco. He's currently a triple A, hitting 299, 361, 536. He's 20 years old. He has nine walks and 11 strikeouts, so clearly controlling controlling the strike zone. He's going to be like, could end up being as like big of a, you know, in-season acquisition as any contender has. You never know exactly how a player is going to adjust um, to, uh, to the majors when they first get there, but he's not the top prospect in baseball for nothing. So they could really get a boost from adding Franco, which is going to happen at some point. My guess is probably going to happen at some point in June, unless um, Taylor Walls like really 
you know, takes off. He's been, he's been drawing walks. That's about it. So my guess is that like, unless he starts hitting a bit more that, you know, you know, Franco will be up pretty soon. I'm going to offer a hot raise trade take. Uh, the trading deadline is in just under two months. I think if we know anything about the raise, it's that they will trade any player at any time, right? There's not, there's not anybody on this team except for probably, you know, Juan Franco who they would not trade. And so I think they will trade Kevin Kiermaier at some point. Let me, let me explain why. The cynical view of that is that he's the only guy on the team who's actually making any money. And that's the first thing people will point to. And maybe it's true. But we've also, we've noticed over the last couple of weeks that there are so many teams just like in desperate need of a center fielder. And even though he's past 30 and he's, you know, generally has some injury problems, he's still, if not the best defensive center fielder in the game, like pretty close to it. And like, they probably wouldn't trade him to the Yankees, but the Yankees could use a center fielder. You know, the Mets could use a center fielder. The Braves could definitely use another outfielder now since Ozuna is unlikely to play for them anytime soon. There are a lot of teams who could really use a center fielder. And if you look at the outs above average list, uh, the StatCast defensive metric, I'm looking at it right now. Two of the six top names are Rays outfielders who can play center field, Brett Phillips and Manny Margot. They would have absolutely no problem at all filling in center field with those two guys. So this is not inside information. There's not even a rumor. This is just me looking at it and saying, that's it. That's the one that's going to happen. And that's the one that's going to freak everybody out. And my only regret is that the Rockies are terrible because I'd love to see Kiermaier play <laughs> center field in cores. It's all I've ever wanted. Uh, and for, for those wondering on Kiermaier also, you know, he signed a long-term deal a few years ago, but it was a pretty modest yes. deal as these things go. He's he's making a little less than $12 million this year, and then he's under contract through 2022 for twelve point like 12.1 million with a $13 million club option for 2023. So it's the kind of, to your point, it's the kind of, you know, player and contract that pretty much any team could, could take on. So I could, I could very much um, see this, see this happening. I'm just thinking through center fielders now, like Houston could desperately use a center fielder if they don't want to trade him in the league, because they might have to face him in the playoffs. You know, who would really use a center fielder, the Phillies. I don't know what the Phillies are going to do. The Phillies are kind of a mess right now, but he would fit in phenomenally with the Philadelphia Phillies. All right, we will take a quick break and we will be back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petrio and Matt Myers. We will go into our three batter minimum. And I hate to phrase it like this. I hate to say 
what's wrong with Juan Soto? Like you're living a charmed life when you are hitting 25% better than the league average as he is. But we spent all winter talking about how he was going to be the next Ted Williams. And now his slugging percentage is down 277 points. His on-base percentage is down 83 points. Maybe it was unreasonable to expect him to be literally the greatest hitter ever, but this isn't the guy we thought he was going to be. And I, I have to admit, I was surprised this morning when I went in and I looked. I was, uh, you have some expectations as to what you're going to see when a guy uh, takes as much of a step back. And the three things I always look at are, was well, he striking out more? No, striking out less. Actually, <laughs> striking out the least of his career. Is he walking less? Like a little, but it's still elite. And has his hard hit rate changed? No, it's identical to last year. His ground ball rate is identical to last year. So like you look at those things and you're like, what is happening? How do you how do you have that and lose 277 points worth of slugging? People will say it's the ball. Maybe it's the ball a little bit. It's not the shoulder injury. That's the thing I think people think. So he missed time with a shoulder injury. He was out from April 20th through May 3rd. And he claims he's not hurt. And one of the ways I like to look and see if uh, an outfielder has an arm problem is, you know, is he playing shallower? Is he not throwing his heart? No, his depth has not changed. His hardest throw of the year came last week. And what is it? Okay, well, it's this. When he hits the ball hard, which he still does a lot, he's hitting ground balls way more often. So he's taking that like elite contact and he's wasting it more or less, right? So if you look at ground ball rate on hard hit balls, this year it's 43%. Last year, it was 33%. The year before that, it was 24%. He did have three hits and a home run last night, so I think he'll be fine. I think this is just um, a surprising outcome. Like There are a lot of things about the Nationals that don't surprise me. I didn't think they'd be good. They're in last place. I thought he'd be great, and he hasn't been great. That's kind of what it is for me. I'll admit, I you know we were putting together a run of show for this podcast, and I saw you had this on a topic as a topic yesterday. So last night, I was like, when I was flipping around games, I was like, oh, let me let me let me <laughs> let me like you know narrow in on some one set at bats, and you know you know put on my amateur scouting hat and see what I see. And of course, of course, you know he he has he has one of his best games of the season. Well, um, you, you didn't watch well, that game the same way everybody else did, which was to spend the first inning and a half like losing their minds about Steven Strasburg averaging eighty nine miles. <laughs> fastball. <laughs> I stopped yeah. watching it after that. Um, but Soto looked good. And I kind of think this is just, I'm with you. I think everyone, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I expected like, you know, a peak Barry Bonds kind of season from Soto this year. And it hasn't exactly happened. Um, but I'm still fairly optimistic of just like, you know, what we're going to see um, going forward. Um, if you look at, you know, all of his expected stats, they're still good enough that I think that, like, he's wanted just, you know, even if he's, like, maybe hitting the ball on the ground more than he has on his hard-hit balls, that, like, there's he's one small adjustment away from just kind of being the guy we thought he could be. And now, at this point, he's probably not going to – he's had his quote-unquote slow enough start that, like, he's not going to get to that Barry Bonds level. But, like, if he ends up in the top – I'm still expecting him to be, like, top five at the end of the year and Wade runs created plus in baseball. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, I don't think that's unreasonable because remember, like I said, he's having a quote unquote bad start and he's got a 126 weight runs created plus where 100 is average. <laughs> and he's still in the 99th percentile in chase rate. So he's still like he still right. has his approach um, and the 90th percentile in expected slugging. So I'm still I'm still believing, you know, maybe not, you know, as I said, the, the bonds level season. But uh, uh, I'll, uh, I think top five in weight runs created plus when all said and done. Is it going to matter? Um, probably not. Um, because I think that, the, I mean, Strasburg, that looks 
pro- it's just a problem. Um, and I, th- I mean, I think they. I don't want to say. I don't want to say they'd be crazy not to trade Max Scherzer, but I think that like they could get something real for Max Scherzer um, as like a difference making starting pitcher at the deadline. He's heading into free agency, and while I know a couple years ago um, they you know sort of towed the line of trading Bryce Harper in his walk year when they were out of the race and they didn't do it. Um, at the last minute, apparently, supposedly they had a trade agreed to with with um, with the Astros, but it got nixed at the last minute. So um, clearly, there might be some squeamishness about trading a Max Scherzer at this point. But I think that you know the since now that they've won a world now that they've won a World Series and there's a lot of goodwill. In some ways, I think that like the fan base would be excited if they saw not you know they, not, they wouldn't want to see Scherzer get traded to, like you know a division rival or something. They wouldn't say, want to see him go to like the Braves or the Mets. But I think that like if he was going to get traded to an American League team. I feel like the fan base would be excited and be like, hey, like they were, you could get behind that. Like, hey, this guy was our one of our heroes of a World Series team. He's won Cy Young's for us, like an amazing free agent signing. We can get a good prospect for him and go root for him, try and win uh, a World Series in the other league. So I think to me, that's the um, the how I would my read on the situation. I think they should trade Scherzer. I don't think they will for some of the reasons you outlined. Well, let me put this out there. Future Blue Jay DH Kyle Schwarber. Right. Schwarber is only signed to a one year deal. He's been like, you know, typical Kyle Schwarber, right? Like not a lot of on base, not a lot of defense, lots of power. And when you look at DHs in the American League, the the Blue Jays are really right handed. Like, like the only regular they have who's lefty is, is Kevin Biggio. And you look at Rowdy Telez. So I like Rowdy Telez. I think he deserves more run, but it just hasn't been there that much this year. Schwarber as a DH, I think makes a ton of sense there. I'm trying to think of like where else it'd be fun to see him as a Yankee. Like they desperately need lefty hitting, but it's just hard to like place a DH there when you've got, you've got Stanton. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, Swarver spent his whole career in the, in the, uh, in the national league. Yeah. Oh, you know where else he'd be good is this, this just feels like a perfect fit for this team. How about Oakland? Right. I guess they have Mitch Moreland. Who's like sort of the same guy, but doesn't he just feel like a 2004 Billy Bean kind of player? Right. <laughs> You know, go, going back to Scherzer for a second, um, and this is what we in the business call a good transition, a team he'd actually really fit on if they were willing to trade within the league is the Cubs. No, that would <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, speaking of the Cubs, let's go on to our, our second topic here. The Cubs are in first place. They are 31 and 23. I think it's important to remind people because no one remembers the defending division champion Cubs. They are one half game up on the Cardinals, but the Cardinals just lost Jack Flaherty to an oblique strain, and it sounds serious. It sounds like weeks, if not months, which is a huge problem for the Cardinals. So the Cubs, I want to focus on their pitching. Like I know we like to look at uh, Chris Bryant rebounding, and they've had some offensive issues, but the pitching to me has been absolutely fascinating. Let's start with the bullpen. The bullpen has been incredible, right? They have the highest strikeout rate in baseball. They have the second highest ground ball rate in baseball. That's a good combination. They have the second lowest ERA among relievers in baseball. Just last night, I was looking at Jordan Bastian, who's our Cubs.com beat reporter. He tweeted that Craig Kimbrell hit 98 or averaged 98.3 on his fastball, and that was his best mark of the season so far. Like, I don't know if we've talked enough about Craig Kimbrell being awesome again because he looked like a disaster the last two seasons, and he looks phenomenal. And when you look up and down uh, you know, the bullpen – Guys, you don't know, right? Like you don't know who Keegan Thompson is. He's he's been pretty good. Justin Steele, Ryan Tapera, MVP candidate Ryan Tapera, just got named the NL Pitcher of the Month. One run in fourteen and two thirds innings, nineteen strikeouts, and zero walks. And I'm having a vague memory 
Matt over the winter before they re-signed him when he was a free agent of us, like highlighting him for some reason. I think there was like some elite swing and miss number on his cutter last year. And we were all like, ha ha, he got an MVP vote. But wait, he was actually really good. And he's been great. <laughs> and so the bullpen's been fantastic. But I do want to talk about the rotation for a second. Over the winter, and there is definitely an episode of this show you can go find, we sort of half-jokingly wondered how slow could this rotation throw because they had loaded up on all these guys who either don't throw hard, you know, like Kyle Hendricks or Zach Davies, um, or used to throw hard, like Jake Arrieta. And I remember we went back and we looked at the rotation velocities uh, on record, which goes back to 2008, and we found like the 10 slowest. Well, I'm here to tell you that the Cubs right now have a rotation velocity of 89.8 miles an hour on their fastballs. That is eighth slowest of the pitch tracking era. So that's 420 teams. They are 412, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. If you go back and look at the teams that are slower, they're, they're all these teams with like huge outliers, you know, two versions of R.A. Dickey teams who's a knuckleballer, uh, two Phillies teams that had like 48 year old Jamie Moyer, a Padres team that had both 42-year-old Greg Maddox and Chris Young. And then you have the Cubs. And I thought, well, that's interesting. They're not throwing hard. They're in first place. Maybe they're like seem shifting wake the hell out of it. And I'm I'm not so sure. 19th in ERA, 27th in home runs per nine, dead last in strikeout rate, and 25th in hard hit rate. To be fair, they've gotten better from April to May. In, in April, their ERA was almost six. In May, it was 3.18. Uh, but the strikeout rate was down ground ball rate was up. I'm not sure about this. Like I I'm in on the Cubs just because I think the Cardinals have a big problem, but I can tell you this, Matt, this rotation, you know, it would look really good here if they had someone like you Darvish on the top of it. I can't think of guys like that. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that kind of leads me to believe that they're not going to go out and make the big kind of trade. Um, you know, up until a couple weeks ago, people were thinking the Cubs might be sellers this July. I don't think that's going to happen at this point, especially as you mentioned with, uh, with, with, with Flaherty out. Um, I think in some ways, based on current roster construction and injury situations, um, the the Cubs are certainly emerging as kind of the the, the favorite. If Flaherty's going to miss a lot of time, I, I'm not really sure what you do if you're not going to make a big trade. The guy who you know, like, because like, who are the free agent? You know, who are the pitchers who might be available via trade? Um, you know, I don't. You know, if they're not going to make a play for a guy like Scherzer. You know, now I think Gaussman is off the table for the same reason that, you know, some of these other, you know, because the Giants are in it, I don't think they'll trade him. Um, I'm not really sure. The name that comes to mind for me, who was pitching really well before he got to, before he hurt his groin, and because the Cubs and Rangers seem to make like four trades every year, um, it's Kyle Gibson. But even Kyle Gibson's not like a, a difference maker. Like, he's not like, oh, well, you know, we're in a playoff series. We got Kyle Gibson pitching game two. We're excited. Um, and that's the thing with the Cubs. You look at them right now and you're like, if you were going in the Cubs, going against the Cubs in a playoff series, the opposition would not look at anyone in the rotation and be like, oh no, what are we going to do? Right. I wonder, I mean, this isn't a great fit for a central team, but you know, I wonder if the Reds will end up trading like Sonny Gray at some point. I wonder if you could get, I mean, you probably don't want to, but I guess you could see if you can get Madison Baumgartner from the Diamondbacks. I think everybody's sort of waiting to see if the Twins blow it up, you know, like they've been better recently, but you know, could you get uh, Pineda or somebody out of there? Possibly. But I, I agree with you. I don't think they will. The one thing that has worked out for them is that Adbert Alzale, 26 years old, he's looked really good. He has a 51 to 10 strikeout to walk ratio, and he's ditched his curve entirely to throw a slider 51% of the time. So I'm I'm not out on the Brewers, who are my preseason pick. I think the pitching is so good. I think Adamus was a nice add. But it's kind of fun to see the Cubs here. And really, I just I root for chaos more than I do teams. 
So what I'm hoping is, I don't want to wish injury on anybody, but let's say that there's a Cubs starter who can throw hard. If you wanted to take like a two-month break, what if you traded for John Lester again? That would be a great idea. <laughs> and I want to see if they can drop the 1.3, excuse me, yeah, 1.2 miles an hour uh, they will need to get to the slowest rotation on record. That's, that is my rooting interest here, not, you know, success or fan enjoyment or anything like that. Our third topic is, hey, did you know the season's going to end this weekend? Sort of. Some teams will reach 60 games played this weekend. Last year, that was it. That was the season. It's kind of, it's interesting, I think, to just like take a step back on Saturday afternoon or something and just think, what if this was the end of the 2021 season? And how happy are we that it is not? Like, I'm glad we got last season in. I think it was valuable in a lot of ways. But it's kind of funny to think, oh, yeah, we still have like a hundred and something more games left to play. Hooray for us. And I remember thinking to myself last year at the end of the season, like how real was it? And I know you had guys like Baez and Yelich who had like these abnormally bad seasons. And maybe you don't want to put too much into those. But in terms of the teams that, you know, made the playoffs and the awards that were handed out, like would we look at them as super fluky? And I, I think we actually didn't. Like the names made sense. Uh, Dodgers and Rays made it to the World Series. That all made sense. If the season ended today and we were using the the traditional playoff structure, not the expanded one from last year, I mean, you'd have Rays, White Sox, and A's winning the American League, but Boston versus either Cleveland or Houston in a wild card. I don't know. Sounds right to me. Yeah. In the National League, you'd have Mets, Cubs, and Giants uh, with Padres and Cardinals in the wild card. You'd be missing the Dodgers, but the Dodgers are only two games out and maybe they would play with some urgency over the next couple of days. You look at the possible awards, right? Uh, the American League, you'd probably have Vlad or Otani in the MVP. Um, you wouldn't have guessed Adolis Garcia winning the Rookie of the Year, but that's fine. He's earned it. Garrett Cole would win the Cy. Uh, National League, DeGrom probably wins the Cy and Castellanos or Muncie or Acuna wins the MVP or Trevor Rogers or Jazz Chisholm wins the Rookie of the Year. That doesn't sound out of the ordinary to me like that sort of sounds right it wouldn't surprise me if this is exactly what happens uh, at least in the awards four months from now that seems about right and the standings there's there's definitely the weirdness in the standings come from the, like the crazy amount of rain, like i feel like rainouts and like rescheduling that have sort of skewed some of it like the mets aren't close to 60 games played because of all their rainouts so and the braves have had some you know the braves have had some you know they expected to get soroka back and they've had some and that just hasn't happened and that i think that's probably the one place where you see the most the most weirdness is that is um i guess the, the giant and then the giants of course um but uh that's uh the player the players actually you know feels more like real than the, than the standings do for that reason uh, i think we could at least agree that we're happy that the season is not ending this weekend <laughs> Right. Uh, I can I concur. If and you know maybe by the time you listen to this, you'll have more information than I do now. Tomorrow, the Rays and Yankees play a day game here in New York. I haven't been to a game since 2019, and if the weather holds, come on, weather, please hold. Uh, my son and I will get to go and see Garrett Cole pitch, and I'm just super excited about that. Uh, we did not get to go last year, haven't gotten to go yet this year, and that's that's what I'm excited about. We're gonna take a quick break. We will come back and we will get to our guys that you need to know more about, and Matt and I will finish off with our rants and raves. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. 
Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward Doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Each week, Matt and I like to pick a lesser-known player that you should know something about. When we talked about the Cubs earlier, we focused on the pitching, and we didn't really talk about the lineup too much, and that's because I wanted to save my guy for here. First baseman slash third baseman Patrick Wisdom. And if you're saying, I don't know who that is, well, a week ago, there was no reason for you to know who he is. He has been phenomenal with the Cubs. He's only been up for eight games. He's got four homers so far. He's hitting 474, 500 with a slugging percentage of 11.58. He is a hard hit rate of 92%. Put it this way, he's been up for a week. He's got five barrels. DJ LeMahieu, who you might know as being a very good hitter, has four barrels all season long. And barrels are the perfect combination of exit velocity and launch angle. So who is this guy? He was a first-round pick of the Cardinals way back in 2012. I say first-round pick with giant air quotes because it was 52nd pick overall. But still, he was picked by the Cardinals in 2012. Kicked his way around through the system. 2017, he hit 31 homers in AAA. The next year, 2018, got up to the big leagues for 52 plate appearances, and he was pretty good. 362 on base, 520 slugging, a 139 OPS plus. That's good. Unfortunately for him, he is a quarter infielder, and the Cardinals at that time had Matt Carpenter at third base. And on December 5th of that year, they traded for Paul Goldschmidt. No more room for Patrick Wisdom. Five days, six days later, he was traded to Texas, for Drew Robinson, uh, the next year in Texas, his AAA system, 31 more home runs, but he was DFA'd in July. Last year, he signed a non-roster invite with Seattle and never appeared for them in their system because there was no minor leagues. He was DFA'd on August 10th, signed with the Cubs, got two pinch hitting appearances. He's actually DFA'd on September 27th, which is pretty rare. They wanted to add Braylon Marquez to the roster so he could audition for the postseason. So this year, he signs another non-roster deal with the Cubs, posts an amazing AAA line of, wait for this, 160, 353, 560. He hit 160 with a 913 OPS plus. And over the last week, as I said, he's been crushing it. Now, I don't want to overstate this. There is a 1% chance he's the next Jose Bautista because he has actually changed his swing. He used to have a standard leg kick, and now he's got this cool double tap. There is a 99% chance He's a quad A guy who's running into some fastballs and will have a 50% strikeout rate this time next week. But why did I want to bring him up? Only partially to troll Cardinals fans. Because could you imagine if yet another Cardinals prospect who they did not really give an opportunity to became a guy following in the footsteps of Luke Voigt and Randy Rosarena and Adalas Garcia? Wouldn't that be funny? I'm sorry, Cardinals fans. I think that would be funny. Oh, uh, you're really you're really giving it to Cardinals fans here. So you come know, on, like, imagine we've we've we I feel like we've 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 come to this. You know, we I feel like the uh, the the Cardinals letting guys slip to their fingers has been like kind of a running uh, a running uh, running subplot of uh, this podcast over the last uh, couple of years, um, and I guess probably baseball Twitter um, uh, writ large. So my guy, I always tease you on this show for picking out random relievers to talk about. Well. 
I'm taking that mantle this week. And the guy I want to talk about is Padres reliever uh, Austin Adams, who basically only throws a slider. Um, and it's dominant. Um, this year he's thrown he's thrown two pitches only. He's thrown a four-seam fastball 9.6% of the time and a slider 90.4% of the time. He is in the top 1% in, in baseball, in expected batting average against, expecting slugging, slugging against, and hard hit rate against. He has not allowed a barrel all season long. If you look at him and his slider, it's basically been, hey, what, maybe I've got this good pitch. Maybe I should throw it more. In 2018, he threw it 42% of the time, then 64, then 84, now 90%. Um, what's also interesting to me about uh, two more things that are especially interesting to me about Austin Adams is that one, He's actually, you would think with a guy who's a righty who's throwing almost exclusively sliders that like, oh, maybe he'd be just, you know, he'd dominate righties, but lefty would give him troubles. And that's not the case. He's actually been more dominant against lefties. Um, 632 OPS allowed against um, against righties, 561 allowed against lefties. The other thing about Austin Adams that is amazing is that as good as his slider is, he really challenges you with it. He has hit eight batters this year. He is a relief pitcher who's thrown 18 innings, and he has tied, he has tied for the league lead and hit batsmen with eight, which I think is kind of remarkable. Uh, an eighth-round pick out of South Florida in 2012 by the Angels. He went to the Nationals in the legendary Danny Espinosa trade and then to, Mar- to the Mariners for Nick Wells in 2019. And then last year at the trade deadline, he was one of the pieces that went from the Mariners to the Padres in the the Austin Nola, uh, Ty France, Taylor Trammell uh, blockbuster. So he's been part of like a really good uh, Padres bullpen this year. You know, uh, Drew Pomerantz has been good as expected. Mark Melanson has been better than expected in my estimation. And Austin Adams has been uh, dominant as well. You know how good Austin Adams has been this year? He's been so good that we no longer have to ask which Austin Adams. Because <laughs> there was another one who pitched as recently as 2019. For the Twins and the uh, Tigers. I, I'm with you on Adams. As soon as I saw his name, I knew exactly where this was going because I know he's a guy who throws 90% sliders. <laughs> like, what if you just made the entire bullpen out of sliders? Austin Adams is doing that. That is like peak 2021 baseball. We are going to finish off with our purpose pitch where we each get to pick something to rant about. I will admit that mine is somewhat lukewarm in 2021, but I saw it the other night and it bothered me anybody. So I'm going to talk about it. When when there are baseball broadcasts on TV and, you know, I'm a part of some of those for ESPN, there's obviously like this push and pull between whether, you know, how 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 many stats should you use and what kind of stats and should they be advanced or not? And there's a sweet spot. You want to be entertaining and informative, but not turn off the casual viewer. So like when broadcasts have the, the triple slash and still show batting average, like that's fine. No, no problem whatsoever with that. Here's my issue. There have been a couple, and I'm not going to name them, not because I'm trying to protect anybody, just because I honestly can't remember which ones they were, that when they show the fielders to start the game, they show the fielding percentage. And that's the one that bothers me because batting average is what it is. It can tell a story when you use it the right way. Fielding percentage is not only useless, it's at its worst, like totally misleading. For an example, I went back to, let's say, 2018 because I wanted a full season. The top three teams in fielding percentage that year were Houston, Washington, and Arizona. If you were to look at those three teams who are, again, the best fielding percentage teams by, let's say, defensive run saved, plus 61, negative 7, and plus 123. <laughs> this year, the five worst fielding percentage teams, uh, two of them are minuses, 
in defensive runs saved. Three of them are pluses. The Orioles have a great fielding percentage. They are terrible by every advanced metric. Why? They don't get close enough to baseballs to make an error on them. So that's my rant. I don't expect every broadcast to just bust out the most advanced StatCast stuff. That's fine. But come on, the fielding percentage, it's worse than nothing. Just show nothing. I'd be happier with nothing. Yeah, I agree with you. And to, to sort of that point, like, for example, you know, when broadcasts show OPS, OPS is not like a mathematically sound metric. And it kind of, if you examine it, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. Oh, we're just going to add OBP and slugging. That said, and one of the reasons I like OPS is it's simple and directionally, it gets you to the right answer. Like, you're sort of like, oh, who are the leaders in OPS? You're like, oh, this is a list of like, you know, the best hitters in baseball. And, you know, sometimes it's off because, you know, it's not adjusting for parks and, you know, maybe one player is skewed because he's got really high slugging and doesn't get on base enough. And, you know, OBP is probably more more valuable, yada, yada, yada. But you look at the top 10 in OPS in baseball, you've got a pretty good snapshot of some of the best hitters in baseball. Feeling percentage, if you you want a snapshot of the best fielders in baseball, it's not getting you anywhere close to that snapshot. So to me, if you're using a a different stat, it should be trying to tell the story or, or or explain something and feeling percentage fails that test. Absolutely. What do you got? Um, coming into this year, you know, agreed. Why, why they agreed? Mike DeCrowd, best player in baseball. And the discussion coming, coming, you know, was like, oh, is this the year that Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna takes the, takes the, takes the title of best player in baseball. And now that Mike Trout's hurt again, I think there's like a real discussion of like, who is the best player in baseball? And I'm at a loss why Jacob DeGrom is not in this discussion. Like with the way that he somehow has gotten better as a pitcher <laughs> and he's also hitting really well. And obviously it's a little fluky his hitting because, you know, no, he's not going to hit 450 all season, but he's always been a pretty good hitting pitcher. And I think that like his dominance as a hit as a pitcher, though, is almost like he's now at the point where he's been so dominant that like I think he should be in the best player in baseball conversation in a way that like I don't really think he gets mentioned. And I think that's wrong. I'm sort of with you on this. Let me say that the uh, the first inning of his start against Arizona the other day is just maybe the single most dominant display of pitching I've ever seen. It's not even that impressive anymore, as ridiculous as this is going to sound, to hit 100. Like, lots of guys hit 100, right? He was dotting the top corner of the zone and the inside of the zone against left. He's like pinpoint accuracy at 101. And then the final pitch of the inning, he just drops a 93 mile an hour slider on the, on the corner of the plate. Like it is, you cannot pitch better than that. It is not possible to pitch better than that. I think the part of this I disagree with you on. It's not that he's a pitcher. Like I don't think there's a problem with saying a pitcher can't be the best player in baseball. It's that he's he's missing time. You know, he missed a little bit of time last year. He's missed some time this year. He's only thrown 51 innings where most of the better starters have thrown like 75 innings. And if you're just looking at like pure talent, is he the best? Yeah, I'll I'll buy it for sure. I just think it's a harder sell when not only is he he pitching every five days, he's not actually doing that because he's been hurt so far. Fair enough. And that will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple's podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, 
all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com MLB.